today on Keep Classical Weird, I talk with a friend and colleague of mine who, by his job definition, specializes in a whole variety of instruments. My name is Gordon Rencher. I am a freelance orchestral percussionist. That's what I do in four to six part-time jobs. <laughs> that would be where the freelance part That's of right. definition comes in. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Welcome, friends, to episode 26 of Keep Classical Weird. I am your host, Casey Bozell, and today we're exploring the world of percussion. I've played in professional orchestras for nearly 20 years, and percussionists have always managed to remain a tad enigmatic in my eyes. Once you've exhausted the string parts, woodwind parts, and brass parts, everything else in an orchestra has to be performed by a percussionist. Now, traditionally, those things might be a snare drum, a triangle, a xylophone, etc. But what if the score called for, say, an anvil or a bird whistle or a car horn? And yes, these are all actual examples from orchestral literature. I wanted to know more about the path to the mad world of percussion, and my friend Gordon was kind enough to talk about his journey. If you recognize his voice, it might be because he was the percussionist from episodes 10 and 11 on Instrumental Personalities. Can we start with how you got into the world of percussion? Well, I, I started playing in, in the fifth grade band when I was 10 years old. I knew I wanted to play drums probably at age six. My brother, who was a senior in high school at the time, took me to a high school basketball game. And the basketball game was fine, but I remember seeing the band and there was some guy in the band playing bass drum. And I, at six years old, I thought, that's it. That's what I want to do. And at that time, I did not think that was a career, but I knew when, when I got old enough to be in band that I wanted to play drums. And I stuck with that, and that's what I did. I played, uh, you know, I played in the fifth grade band. I played in the sixth grade band, and, and I think it was two days a week, and and uh, it was during school, and we I so I missed some class to do that, and everything continued just fine. And and then seventh grade for me was junior high school. My junior high band director was a percussionist, and he I assume he must have heard that I was you know I don't know good. I hadn't studied privately at all, but you know at least above average for an eleven year old kid. And on the first day of band class. He looked back at the percussion section and looked at me and and pulled out a pair of drumsticks and said, hey, Wrencher, what's this? And he played some rudiment on a snare drum that was up by his desk, and I hadn't studied. And I knew it was a rudiment, but I didn't know which one. And I guessed, and he said, wrong. And then he played another one, and I, and I guessed it right. And he said, lucky guess. And he played a couple more, and I wrong again, right? I only got one of them right. And then I went home that day and I said, mom, I need lessons. There are things I don't know. And that at age 12, that really bothered me that there were things I didn't know. So I started studying privately. Of course, I learned all those things. Um, along about a couple years later, ninth grade, none of us drummers 
which I'll put in air quotes. None of us drummers knew how to read music. You know, we, I was the cliche, you know, drummer that, that couldn't play a xylophone, couldn't play bells, couldn't play a marimba. And the band director would have flute players come back and play the, the mallet parts, flute players who had presumably had piano lessons. And he didn't have to spur me on to do that. It just about that time, I thought, okay, something's wrong with that. These people are doing my job. I need to learn how to play mallet percussion as well. So I got lessons on mallet percussion. And, you know, I wasn't the best student on mallet percussion, but I learned some things and I put it down for a couple of years. And then a couple of years later, when I was really getting more serious, about the time I was a junior in high school, I thought, okay, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? And I absolutely nothing else came to mind. I thought, this is, this is what I want to do. I better get good enough to get paid for this. I'm assuming that percussion instruments fall mainly into different categories, but maybe I'm wrong. Is there like pitched and non-pitched or? Well, correct. I, I think, and I've been thinking about the answer to this question and I can give you the textbook answer, but I think it might be more useful if I say that there's really sort of four categories into the percussion world. One being snare drum, one being drum set, one being uh, mallet percussion instruments, and one being timpani. And almost everything else we do is a variation on one of those instruments. These days, there's almost a fifth category that I would call hand drumming, which has become very popular over the past 30 years. Although I wouldn't necessarily say that that's a doorway into orchestral percussion. So those four categories are, I think, the way in into percussion. And if you're going to be an orchestral percussionist, you need to be very good at both snare drum and mallet percussion. Can you give them examples of mallet percussion? Mallet percussion would be uh, pitched percussion instruments. Uh, so that's marimba, xylophone, vibraphone, uh, orchestra bells, otherwise known as glockenspiel, uh, perhaps chimes. So those are the those are the mallet percussion instruments, and that's where you can play a melody, in a nutshell. And where does things like where do things like um, uh, I don't know triangle slapstick other right. like random right what I, and what I would call sound effects. You know, if snare drum or drum set or bongos or woodblock is a rhythm instrument and then xylophone and marimba are melody instruments, then th those instruments, slapstick, even cymbals, gong, I, I categorize those as sound effects. You know, they all have their special techniques, but it's not necessarily something we have to keep up on, per se, as much as we do snare drum and marimba. How do you go about learning how to do all these different instruments and do them all to um, a degree where you're really proficient at all the different ones? Well, truth be told is I'm, I, I probably don't feel equally proficient at all of them, and very few of us do. My main instruments, of, of course, from my background are drum set and snare drum, probably third for me would be timpani and fourth would be mallet percussion. Hmm. Every, you know, all of us are going to have a different sort of level of competence. 
And and it's a bit like just being multilingual. You know, my my native language is probably drum set. And, you know, marimba feels like a third language to me, perhaps. Somebody else, marimba is their native language. And, and they won't touch a drum set. As a teacher, I try to teach snare drum and drum set, and there's a lot of crossover between those two. And then I encourage all my students to at least know enough mallet percussion to not be afraid of it. And a lot of drummers are afraid of it, especially at the high school level, and that's primarily the level I teach. I like that analogy of of different languages. It feels like that. It, it, it at least it does to me. It feels an awful lot like you know, I'm a I'm a newscaster in my second language or my third language sometimes. So when you get together with your percussion section, do you have like I mean. Uh, most people by now in this town, like it's not your first time working with any other percussionist because you are really established here. So you probably don't have to have this conversation that often, but you decide like, okay, you're really strong here. So you go and play the marimba for this piece. And how do you decide that? Well, it's the principal percussionist that decides who plays what. If I'm the principal so if it's the Portland Opera or if it's Oregon Ballet Theater, I will, generally speaking, take the hardest part for myself, even if it's not my native language necessarily, because I feel that's part of my job is to take the hard parts and to take take the really exposed, important stuff. And then I will assign out the other parts you know, as they come. You said like your native language is drum set. It, yeah, it's what I've spent the most time doing. Would you say that's also your favorite thing to do? Um, I like to I like to play music well. If I'm in a band that's that's whatever style, band, orchestra, whatever we're playing, if we're playing it well, I'm really loving it. And if the band or the orchestra does not sound good, it doesn't matter what I'm playing. I'm not happy doing it. Is drum set my favorite thing to play? Maybe. Um, I like to play snare drum. Believe it or not, I like to play cymbals. And if there's a percussion instrument that comes really natural to me, for some reason, it's cymbals, which uh, not being a percussionist, you would think, what a strange thing. They're big, I do, yeah. They're big plates of metal. <laughs> you just pick them up and hit them together, and they sound like cymbals. But like any professional musician, once you get to this point, once you get to that level, you really start hearing subtle differences in tone quality. There are professional orchestras that I can listen to, and I will turn the recording off after five minutes because I don't like the cymbal playing. Wow. Because I, I hear a certain school of cymbal playing, and I think I that really makes my skin crawl and I won't listen to it anymore. And I'll go find another orchestra that has a different, a different style of cymbal playing. Is it a taste level of cymbal playing? It is. Okay. It is. It's absolutely just personal preference. It's not because they're just like flat out doing it. No, they're not. They're not bad. They're you know, all, <laughs> everything's in the right place. Uh, and they're making what, you know, some people think is that's the way you're supposed to play cymbals. And to my ear, 
I just I disagree with certain schools of thought. There are there are different styles of all kinds of instruments. You know, there are a couple of different schools of timpani playing. You know, every drum set player sounds different. Um, you know, you always hear individual variations in players, and we hear that in percussion too. Even though it's perhaps more subtle than a string instrument probably is. I would imagine. I can't. I can't think of a single time I've never thought about listening, but listening with such a discerning ear to cymbal playing. That always, to me, that always seems like that's that's um, that's kind of inspiration for a different, for like a, a new motion of music. But that's because I'm a violinist. Mm-hmm. And I'm usually reacting to the cymbal playing instead of analyzing it. I think. Y- yeah, and and maybe you're just putting in your earplugs and like, wow, there's a cymbal crash and that's loud. And <laughs> and, um, and and by the way, if if I'm not playing cymbals and I'm three feet away from the cymbal player, I think it's obnoxiously loud too. Hmm. But if I'm the one playing it, it doesn't bother me in the slightest. And I think it's I think it's a little bit like tickling yourself. You know, you you can't do it. It's I I if I'm playing, I know exactly how loud it's going to be, and I know exactly when it's going to happen, and so it doesn't surprise me in the slightest. But again, if I'm if I'm three feet away, I'm putting earplugs into. I was so curious about watching the type of symbol technique that Gordon was talking about, so he was kind enough to grab a pair to demonstrate. Now, just a heads up: in about ninety seconds, you're going to hear a couple of pretty loud symbol crashes. Okay, so before you do it, just tell us what you're going to do. Well, there are a lot of different ways to play cymbals. And if, if you had 10 cymbal players in the room, trained cymbal players, they probably have 10 different ways of doing it. Mm. But what they all have in common is that when you strike the cymbals together, you don't want them to be parallel on any axis. So if you think of the, if you picture the wind-up monkey that would do something <laughs> like this, this is absolutely the wrong way to play cymbals. Okay. And if you get them to strike exactly parallel, you're going to get a pretty bad sound. Okay. As I, as I move the cymbals together, I want them to be slightly not parallel in, in several different directions. In any axis. Yeah. Okay. And, and you can see that I'm, I'm controlling that angle strictly with my thumb and my index finger. Okay. On each hand. So Really close to the metal. It takes a fair amount of hand strength to be able to do this. Yeah. It's not, those don't seem like huge grips that you have there. No. So you really have to grip a lot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And this is, this is I have this conversation with band directors often who want me to teach their high school kids how to play cymbals. And frankly... A lot of high school kids aren't strong enough to really control the angle of the cymbals. Right. Because it takes it takes a lot of strength. And most high school, the, the quality of the instrument that you find in the high school is also lacking. Also. Okay, yeah. interesting. So uh, I'll start with something sort of mezzo-piano-ish. Okay. Okay. You want to hear one louder? Yeah. I'll do one a little bit louder. Those are okay. Those are pretty good. Those are okay. All yeah, right. You kind of you kind of shake them out. Well, I was I or did they? I just let the symbol vibrate. Oh, okay. Uh, that wasn't they, you shaking them. That it was, wasn't. They were just it was really me. It was the symbol shaking me, if anything. <laughs> um, but I do sort of let go of them, as, and so at the at the moment of impact, 
on on letting them vibrate together for a third of a second rather than just you know together and back out um i let i want the symbol to kind of roll around the okay. edge and that's that's I won't say it's unique to me, but that's the technique that I try to go for that's different from what other people will try to do, go for. It kind of looks like you give the, all, the circumference of each, a, like the whole circumference, a chance to, to Exactly. Touch. Ready for more instruments? Me too. So I'll start, I'll do a little bit of snare drum. Okay. And you know, a snare drum, this is maybe the most common drum there is. Mm-hmm. It's you know, used in parades used on drum set, it's used in orchestral music. This particular snare drum that I'm about to play is a is tuned to be a drum set snare drum. So if I was playing an orchestral snare drum, I would use a different instrument. Mm. Um, I probably own about a dozen snare drums. Uh, and for people that do what I do, that's not uncommon at all. In fact, it might be a small number. You know, and so for a different piece, I, I want a particular snare drum. Okay. Um, so, snare drum sounds like this. And then, of course, right in the middle of the drum set, you'll hear snare drum as the backbeat in like a, a classic rock beat. center of that, uh, or jazz. Um, what do you think about some marimba? Sure. But absolute, my favorite thing to do is to play Broadway musicals. Tell me why. I lo- because they are to me the ultimate drum set. If if you, you, I surround myself with many, many, many percussion instruments. There'll be there can be a drum set right in front of me with timpani to my right side and xylophone to my left, and you know all kinds of bells and whistles, literally all around me and the challenge is to get to them all within about a two and a half hour period of time uh, the musical wicked is perhaps my favorite because there are 55 different instruments that i have to play whoa you alone you- me alone whoa. i have to play 55 different in, o- over the course of the show and that kind of challenge to me is just oh i just absolutely love it do you have anything really that you might not really odd or unexpected. She could be like, Oh yeah. And sometimes as a percussionist, I have to do this. Uh, well, no, well, all sorts of things are odd that that we get asked to do. I mean, I've, I've two or three times in the past couple of years, I've had to play flower pots. Like just, just what mallets hit in flower pots. You, well, yeah, I'll, I'll use the I'll use the the wooden end of, of a mallet or maybe a chopstick, because if I'm taking a, a clay flower pot and I'm striking it with something, it's very easy to break. So it's a, it's a very delicate sound. You know, sometimes there are funny sound effects. You know, the siren whistles and bulb horns and 
and and things like that. Uh, I've played Japanese rice bowls several times. Wow. Yeah. I'll show you. You want to see those? Uh, sure. Okay. Wait, wait here a second. Okay. For the rice bowls, Gordon did not have those in his music studio. He, of course, keeps them in his kitchen. So these are all like different sizes. They're of all bowls. different sizes of, of uh, rice bowls, and Just as you can bowls. imagine, when I went into various Japanese or uh, Asian grocery stores, okay. Here's my question. I just realized. So <laughs> did you know, were they like, oh, we're playing this piece. It calls for Japanese rice bowls. And your response was, oh, I got to go buy some Japanese rice bowls. Uh, yes. At, at, at initially. Yeah. Before I had these, that's exactly what I had to do. So it wasn't like you were, you know, most people getting instruments would go, say, into a music shop. But you were, you can't get these at any standard music shop. I would imagine you go to... Japanese grocery store. Exactly. And yeah, and I pick them up one at a time and I'm standing in the aisle and I'm just tapping them with my finger and trying to get maybe a set of five or a set of six and I want them all to be different pitches. I, you know, I'm not trying to find a B flat and an F sharp and a G natural. I just want a high to low set that, that blends well together. That's great. And now you have a set... So that when it's when you see the piece and you go, oh, I'll have to bring my Japanese rice bowls. Rice bowls, no problem. I got them. I'm ready to go. Um, <laughs> brake drums and uh -huh. literally car parts, you know, from the brakes of cars work work exactly the same way. Um, you know, they're pieces of metal that are just much bigger than this. But we also, you know, we go to junkyards and we and we listen to brake drums until we get a set that sounds right. Who knows what we're going to find that sounds good. I've, I've got just random pieces of metal, some that I just found on the sidewalk <laughs> that, uh, that I pick them up and I suspend them from a rope and I hit them with the right thing. And I think they make a good musical tone. And, and you know, I, so, so I collect some odd things. You're not necessarily in the same category of other musicians and that your practice is kind of defined by like one instrument and the pedagogy like you're it seems like percussionists are constantly working for ways to evolve your specialty and ways to innovate going forward either how to do things better or better stuff to make the right sounds you're on to something yes we're moving stuff a lot we're the first ones that show up. We're the last ones that leave because we're always packing up equipment. If we hated that, we would have given up a long time ago. Uh, and so the equipment, for those of us that are still here, the equipment is part of the fun. Uh, yeah, I do like I do like having a lot of stuff. But I want to have stuff that's that's good musical sounds and that I can use. And, but you also have to understand that percussion instruments don't have the same expressive quality that other musicians have. As a, as a violin player can play something happy and they can play something sad. And, you know, you, you probably name 12 emotions and you can imitate that on your instrument. Whereas, you know, I have a snare drum and right now this is a tom-tom because -tom the snares are off, but 
that's pretty much what it sounds like. And I can hit it with a mallet. And it's a little bit different. And I could hit it with a brush. And it's a little bit different. But, you know, each instrument is pretty limited to what it can make. So if we're going to make different sounds and create different uh, moods, we need different instruments in order to do that. And that's our show for today. My deepest thanks to Gordon Wrencher. I encourage all of you to make friends with orchestral percussionists and then figure out a way to poke around their house if possible. It's a really fun time. Our theme music is by Not Dead composer Thomas Barber. Check out more of his stuff at thomasbarber.com. Web development support is provided by Tina at citybeautifuldesign.com. Keep Classical Weird is created and edited by me, Casey Bozell. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon. And feel free to find me on Twitter by using the hashtag KeepClassicalWeird. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Stay safe and stay weird. Stay weird.